Hello and welcome to the Around the Nation podcast. It's playoff time, the podcast for Monday, November 16th, 2009. I'm Pat Coleman. And I'm Keith McMillan. And it was, uh, you know, just uh, just another selection Sunday, right? Uh, Mount Union and Whitewater on opposite ends of the bracket. Um, you know, a, a team that we thought uh, should get in that the NCAA felt otherwise about. Uh, but otherwise, Keith, uh, you know, it, it seemed like a, a fairly cut-and-dried decision-making process when when I went through this on uh, Saturday night. And, and from the looks of the final bracket, there weren't a whole lot of things um, in terms of the teams that got in that you could really quibble about. No, I mean, the, the pretty much the, one of the most cut-and-dried week 11s, I guess, that, that we've had in, in recent memory. Four leagues, four conferences had a chance to end in some sort of three- or four-team tiebreaker, and... Uh, None of those came to pass. Not too many teams played themselves out of the playoffs in Week 11. Dickinson, probably the, the main exception to that. You know, obviously we had some, some head-to-head games with Albright, Lebanon Valley, and uh, Montclair State, and Kane, and, and Randolph League, and Hampton City, and that, and that sort of thing. Um, but those were games that we knew going in that somebody would play themselves out. I, I think really it came down to seven one-loss teams, and then I think four two-loss teams. Down to it, that it was it was the, the at large bids. You know, there was no drama at all in Pool B, so it was just those at large bids in Pool C that uh, that that caused a little bit of consternation. I think when the bracket was finally released. Yeah, and I think when we go back and look at it, um, you know, I sort of I know when I put the projection out there. <clears throat> that when I have Ohio Northern listed as going in as a two-loss team, I know that's not likely to happen. But, you know, to be honest with you, I've just got to kind of continue to force the point that Ohio Northern is, I think fairly clearly, the best team that was left out of this bracket. And at some point, there just has to be some consideration for a team that does have one more loss, but where the strength of schedule is 160 points higher than the uh, than the team that got in, and and that's not even counting uh, St. Norbert. We went to bat uh, fairly heavily for St. Norbert uh, in discussing uh, the the bracket with uh, Joyce Solomon, who's the athletic director at Rowan and the chair of the national committee. But you know, not because um, I think either you or I or any top 25 voter is all that uh, you know is all that impressed with St. Norbert's resume. Uh, they did not get a single vote in our final regular season top 25. But, you know, according to the NCAA's criteria, they should have been in ahead of Washington and Jefferson as well. And that doesn't even bring into consideration, uh, you know, teams like uh, North Central or Otterbein. Yeah, I mean, I think there there's probably quite a few teams you could have been discussing at that last spot, you know, depending on how you, you interpreted things. And uh, it, it really seems to be a difference of opinion I know among us, you know, whether you, you strongly reward that strength of schedule or do you do you look more closely at the fact that a team only has one loss and uh and, and if you don't, you know, follow those those criteria, then it's sorta of like I guess what's the point of having it? You know, I mean when you have um a hundred and sixty points, Pat, you mentioned the difference in, in strength of schedule. You know, you would expect the team that, that plays Mountain Union, that plays North Central, you know, another team that ended up eight and two, that, that played Otterbein who which ended up eight and two, that played Capital, which ended up seven and three, and all those teams from, from top conferences, you know, you you would expect them maybe to pick up one more loss than than teams who, who didn't challenge themselves in the non conference schedule. And when you talk about not challenging yourself, Keith 
um, you know, just looking at who W and J played, um, you know, they um, they lost. Uh, sorry, they played Oberlin, uh, which ended up two and eight. They played Frostburg State, which ended up one and nine. Those were the games that W and J had some choice in scheduling. That's what they chose to do. Now, you know, granted, um, you know, coming off of a, a season that W and J had last year with uh, quarterback Bobby Swallow graduating, knowing the offense might need a little bit of time to kind of rebuild itself and, and kind of get its uh, get its legs underneath it, that sort of thing. I could see why you might want to schedule those games, uh, or at least one of those games might be useful to you, but, you know, in the end, you would think that it would cost you come playoff time. And I wonder, what's the message now that the NCAA committee is sending out to coaches there, I think it's sending the message that you better be 9-1, and one, and it doesn't matter really who you schedule to get to 9-1, and one, but you better be 9-1, and one, you can't be 8-2. I, I completely and totally agree with you, Pat, and I think I'm going to take it further in a second here, but you're right, what does it mean for, for scheduling in D3 when you... When you're talking about teams who who have an opportunity to challenge themselves, and that's not the case for everybody, um, you know, not everybody has teams you know, regionally that are close by that they that they can drive to without you know incurring too much cost to challenge themselves. But that's not the case with Washington Washington Jefferson. They have that situation. You know, um, if you, if you look at the open dates, right? They scheduled Oberlin uh, on September 5th and they schedule Frostburg state on September 12th. So that's weeks one and two. It's not like those are mid middle of the season open dates that are tough to fill. Uh, it's not like a situation with Mary Harden Baylor. You know, people have made the point where, uh, you know, Mary Harden Baylor didn't have any real significant out of conference wins this season, but that's a team that's on a D three Island that, that has maybe, I mean, they have Trinity and Austin, you know, from from a conference next door to them in Texas, and then they get, they have to drive out of state, you know, to get a game, and and you know they, that's a team that has to fly around and pick up games and take games NAIA or D two or whoever will play them. You know, that's 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 the situation they're put in. That's a situation Wisconsin Whitewater. You know, they're put in a situation where they have to take different games. Wesley, with only four teams in their conference, they they all to you know they have to play anybody who will take them in in a sense and uh but but Washington Jefferson you know they they deliberately scheduled those games as far as I'm concerned you know and I think the the point that there there is a good counterpoint to this in that they played those two teams last year and they were good enough to get to the final eight so you know it doesn't it doesn't mean if you don't challenge yourself that that you're not good enough to be in the playoffs but it it means what does it mean when you compare that team to another team on the board that did choose to challenge itself, and I think in the case of St. Norbert, you know, aside from taking a game with with a WIAC team, taking a, a Whitewater or somebody, they couldn't have done much more than to schedule Wartburg and, and beat them. You know that Wartburg's a team that that challenges every year in the Iowa Athletic Conference has been a playoff team. You know, they they challenge themselves and they haven't always done that. You know, but but the Green Knights challenged themselves. They went and beat Wartburg and. Uh, and went nine and one, and you, I don't know what else you can ask them to do except for play Monmouth closer. You know, I, I look at Rowan, and of course, uh, uh, Joyce Solomon, who is the chair of the national committee, is the athletic director at Rowan. And I look at uh, Rowan's non-conference schedule, and now they only have to schedule one game because the uh, NJAC has uh, ten football teams. But they went out and they scheduled Lycoming, and, and Lycoming is traditionally a really strong team. You know, and, and if I'm um, you know, if I'm Jay Acorsi, I'm going. Uh, I might walk into J- uh, Joy Solomon's office and say, "Why am I scheduling this team?" Sure, because it, it's not it's not going to help. You know what I mean? When it, I guess when it comes down to it, you're at, you're putting your team at risk of losing a game 
and then putting yourself in that eight and two group with Otterbein and, and Ohio Northern, North Central and Willamette. And you're, you're putting yourself at risk of, of losing a game that's not, if you lose it, you know, you're out of the discussion. And if you win it, it doesn't necessarily help you. You know, I don't know how you can have a worse strength of schedule than Washington and Jefferson, although Case Western somehow managed to do it. Um, but I mean, it's that, it, to, to have one win over, over a seven and three team, right? Geneva. And then to have not beaten another team that, that played, uh, above 500 this season and then you know to have the loss to thomas moore um uh, who obviously went 10 and 0 you know it's hard to to you know to play a a much softer schedule i guess than they did now the other question though when it comes to that and this is another counterpoint maybe in favor of of washington jefferson is do the strength of schedule number numbers necessarily reflect the strength of schedule in other words does going through the the Midwest Conference for St. Norbert is that really playing a tougher schedule than than going through the pack, no matter what the numbers say? Well, and that's an interesting point, and and that kind of brings us to um, the discussion that uh, Frank Rossi and I had with Joy Solomon earlier on Sunday. Dr. Solomon and I have already had this discussion uh, offline earlier. Uh, I think the uh, the listenership might be interested to hear. Um, the decision process between uh, Washington and Jefferson and, say, St. Norbert for that final spot, uh, assuming that, you know, the, the committee couldn't possibly see any way to put a two-loss team in, even though they were the better team and they graded out better on some of the other criteria. Can we talk more about uh, St. Norbert with a stronger strength of schedule versus Washington and Jefferson with the worst strength of schedule among the one-loss teams on the board? Well, I'll go over a little bit what we what we said before. Obviously, when you get down to the, the final bubble teams, and there were obviously a few teams on the bubble, uh, the committee looked at a, a number of things. Um, yes, they did look at the uh, the SOS, which is the strength of schedule, but um, we also looked at um, we had to go further and look at uh, opponents opponents one loss percentage. And uh, Washington and Jefferson obviously was a bubble team. We felt the committee felt that um, their loss to Thomas Moore, who was a second place team in the region. And St. Norbert's had lost to uh, Monmouth, I believe, which was a fifth-place team in the region. And then when you looked at the other numbers of the OWP, Washington and Jefferson were stronger in both the primary and the secondary. And so that was a decision that we made. W&J couldn't be stronger in both OWP and OOWP. By the, by the NCAA's calculations, uh, you have to already include both of those, two-thirds for one and one-third for the other, to come up with the total number. And St. Norbert's total number was higher than WMJ's was. In the S- in the SOS, yes. In the w- in the OOWP, um, it wasn't, and that's what the one one criteria when we get into the opponents opponents one loss percentage. Um, that's where Washington and Jefferson stood out, and that's one of the that's one of the things the committee looked at. More so um, was the fact that they lost to a two ranked team as opposed to St. Norbert's losing to a fifth ranked team. No, that, and you know when you're getting down to the end there, you're getting down to oh, the end, and it's, and it's very tough to make you know to make those decisions. And that was the decision we made, and, and everybody was comfortable with it. Uh, and I understand that. Um, my to go back to because you've said this now twice that Monmouth was a fifth-ranked team. Of course, you know Monmouth is a fifth-ranked team because there were five unbeaten teams in the West, and in the South there were only three. There mm-hmm. there couldn't be an unranked team or an, un, a, an undefeated team ranked fifth in the South region. Isn't that kind of an artificial comparison? What you're saying is that Monmouth, therefore, must be worse 
than Thomas More simply because there are four unbeaten teams in a really strong region that happen to be better than Monmouth. No, I mean, you know, you know, we had to talk, you had talked earlier about, you know, are you punishing a, a team for, for being in a strong region? And, and we don't look at it that way. We're looking at the, uh, at, at, at the total, you know, what, what we think is the total picture. We're looking at uh, a lot of different things. And when you get down, like I said, to the, the bottom four, you have to make some tough decisions. And um, how the committee may look at it might be a little differently than somebody else is looking at it. But um, there was no, um, uh, I'm trying to think of the word I want to use, but there, there was no hesitation that um, the committee felt that Washington and Jefferson was the, the team to go in there over St. Norbert's. Where basically, Keith, as you come out of here, you you, you hear their argument is, uh, in, in a sense, first of all, it's not who you beat, it's who you lost to uh, in, in that sense because they decided that uh, Thomas Moore being the number two seed in the bracket and the team that W&J lost to uh, compared to uh, Monmouth being number five in a much stronger bracket being the team that, say, Norbert lost to seemed to be more important uh, than the wins that either of those teams, W&J and, say, Norbert, had on their schedule. You know, well, I think when you listen to that, those comments, you know, I think it tells you a couple of things. And, and the main thing is, you know, that you can't trust necessarily the selection committee to interpret the criteria the same way from year to year. And you necessarily, you can't necessarily trust it to interpret the criteria the same way you and I interpret it every year. Or, or not every year, but, you know, I might read it and I get one thing out of it and you read it and you get another thing out of it. And... There's certainly an argument that I and I was making this argument on on the board on Sunday morning that maybe you want a little bit of ambiguity in there. You want to leave some room for the committee to say, okay, I realize the numbers say this, but it's got to be a, co- a common sense element here, uh, and, and say this team's got to be a no. You know, what if we're talking about the last team in is is Mary Harden Baylor versus St. Norbert or Mary Harden Baylor versus Washington Jefferson, which had this. Uh, this much different strength of schedule number and uh you know had maybe you know they had a common result last year which is which was they played each other deep in the playoffs and, and Mary Harden Baylor won 63-7 so what if you're talking about those two teams and there there's a common sense element that says all right i got i have to take you know it it doesn't matter what the numbers say we we want to do the right thing for this tournament we want to put the, we want to put together the best tournament we're going to take this team I don't know if you if you want if you want that in there or not, but you but it's it's hard to to look at what we've come away with today and and say okay the the criteria was was strictly followed. And you know what's interesting, Keith, is I kind of felt that over the last two years that was the um, the mode by which they went. You know, uh, when you look at. Uh, Wisconsin Eau Claire being selected uh, at eight and two a couple of years ago. You look at uh, Wheaton being selected at eight and two last year. Now, um, you know, uh, Eau Claire was selected in a year where there was a one loss team on the table available, um, and they were selected over Whitworth uh, last year. Obviously, there weren't any one loss teams uh, left. All the one loss teams got in, but they chose Wheaton, uh, a team from a traditionally strong conference. And if you remember, Dick Kaiser talking last year, he said he said part of the process was, well, you know which team wouldn't you want to face? And, uh, you know, the runner-up in the WIAC or the runner-up in the CCIW seems like a pretty good choice. And to me, you know, so does the runner-up in the Ohio Athletic Conference. Hey, and, and you're right. This year, those are the teams you had on the board. You had a, a North Central team that, that lost only to the CCIW champion in a conference that produced 
six winning teams in an eight-team conference, and, and there were six teams with a 6-4 and four record or better. And uh, North Central beat, I guess, four of those teams. They were one of them, and then they lost to, to another one. Uh, so they had they had four out of con they had four wins over six wins or better teams and their two losses were to, to Ohio Northern and to to uh, Illinois Wesleyan. You know you have the same case with Ohio Northern. You know tied with Mount Union, number one team in the country at halftime, and uh, lost by two points at the end of the game to Otterbein. You know you have the same case when you talk about Otterbein beat Ohio Northern, beat Capital, and and lost a game really that knocked themselves out of the playoffs. Uh, a, cu a couple weeks ago against uh, Marietta, you know they're they're in at nine and one. They're, without a doubt, they're in at nine and one with a single loss to to Mount Union. So, you know, you're right. We had gotten to a place where we we were recognizing we I shouldn't say we the the selection committee was recognizing strength of schedule, strength of conference in in evaluating the last few at large teams. They they were saying, look, if you're if you're a nine and one team. And, and you didn't take the opportunity to, to schedule somebody that would challenge you. And then here's an 8-2 and two team that, that either by nature of the tough conference it's in or by the nature of its out-of-conference schedule, you know, they, they've played tougher teams than you. And neither of you guys got in automatically. You know, if you're going to leave it up to us, we're going to take the team that, that proved itself during the season to be more playoff worthy. Now, obviously, there's, there's some room for, for interpreting what playoff worthy is, and that's what this new committee now has has done they've sort of gone back to the old interpretation from a couple years ago and saying look if, if you you only have one loss then you're on the board and and I'm 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 not I wouldn't dare try to say that that I know more than than you know eight people who've done this for the entire season all right these are eight people they're not some committee that's thrown together in Indianapolis these are d3 people coaches uh, athletic directors conference commissioners and these are people that care about the teams, you know what I mean. So I I, I wouldn't purport to to try to say that me and you necessarily are, are smarter than than those folks. I think they you, there's just enough room in in the criteria to interpret it differently. And Pat, you and I, you know, we've been doing this for a long time, and we've always sort of been of the mindset that if you if you challenge yourself, if you give us information during the season to prove that you are one of the, the best at-large teams out there, then we're going to reward you by putting you in our projected field. And if we were on the committee, you know, we probably would have come away with Ohio Northern or Otterbein or North Central, probably over Washington Jefferson and St. Norbert. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, I, one of the things that's inter interesting here, Keith, is something I think you first pointed out a couple years ago in the uh, and around the nation column around this time of year, the team who um, who we don't project, the team that makes the field that the NCA puts in that we left out, uh, traditionally does not do very well. And of course, W and J is being set up to uh, to really continue that uh, that uh, streak this year. Yeah, and and that's actually sort of the uh, the poetic justice to the whole thing is the logical team that they could have been scheduling all along on this first week open date. Mountain Union has a open date that it. I don't want to say it struggles to fill, but it, you know it, it it needs a challenge in that in their one non-Ohio athletic conference game, and um, Washington Jefferson needs a challenge in, in one of the first two weeks. And you know the teams are a couple hours away at most, you know, from Pittsburgh to to the Canton area and Alliance there, and uh, that's a game that that because of the distance, the proximity, the the traditional power of both teams, uh, you know, you take the the best dozen teams in Division three football over the past. 10 years and Washington Jefferson is right at the on the cusp of that group and um, 
Mount Union, of course, is at the top. Those two teams probably should have been playing each other, or we would have liked to see them play each other anyway. And, and because of the ties, you know, Mike Sirianni, the coach for uh, for WNJ, is a Mount Union guy. Um, you know, he scored, he had played at the beginning of the of the real big run for Mount Union, and, and that just shows you how long Mount Union's been dominant. It's uh, it's now, you know, and these teams remember in, in the '90s too. They they had before Mount Union was so dominant, and 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 there was sort of a uh, automatic trip to Salem. You know that they had some some fun battles there on, on the way. So I mean, this is this is going to be a lot of fun for for all the two team for both teams and both schools. You know, to to go through some of that history and and get geared up for this thing in the run up to it. But you know, it may not be that fun come noon on Saturday. That's of course the uh, the topmost uh, matchup in the bracket: Washington and Jefferson at Mount Union. Um, it was the uh, the very first uh, matchup on the bracket that uh, that we got from the NCAA, and then in discussions with uh, the folks at ESPN, we decided, well, why don't we reveal that bracket last because that's uh, the one where uh, <clears throat> where the last surprise might be. And it was W and J getting in with the final pool C bid uh, of the six true at large teams. The winner of that game is going to face the winner of the game between Mary, between Maine Maritime and uh, Montclair State. Montclair State hosts. And Keith, I think this is a winnable game for Maine Maritime. Yeah, and and that brings into the question of you know Maine Maritime is this geographic outlier anyway, so you know they may end up in a situation where they have to have to fly in uh, in the second round, and you know we all know that that when the committee puts puts this bracket together, they're very concerned about geographic proximity in the uh, in the first round, trying to avoid flights, but we may get stuck in a situation where you look look at Maine Maritime, you know team that rushed for 730 yards in a game just a few weeks back and uh you know i know montclair state probably has one of the two two teams i look at in this entire bracket in this entire 32 team field where i say uh this team has a defense that could carry them further than maybe their offense can carry them and or you know that could be a fun game when, when you have a team that's that's got that kind of power rushing attack when you when you got a team that you know montclair state's kind of flown below the radar all season in the NJAC because there's been other teams that, that have been taking that, uh, you know, they're, 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 they've been taking the, the spotlight because Montclair State scores aren't that interesting. You know, you see the 14-6 and, and, and you know, 24-10, those type of scores, and then you don't, you don't see the 63-48s and stuff like that. So it, it's, uh, it, that could be a fun one. That could really be good. You know, I'm interested, Keith, in that game um, in terms of Montclair's uh, preparation for that game. Um, you know, facing the triple option. I know Montclair's played Springfield in the past, but that's fairly long past now. Uh, I don't see anybody uh, in the NJAC or on the non-conference schedule the game against Wilkes that's going to come even close to what uh, type of offense they're going to see from Maine Maritime on Saturday. No, and that's that's a challenge when you get when you get into the postseason is, you know, you're going to do some things that aren't familiar to you. You know, for some teams it's getting on a plane and flying. For some teams, you know, not to make this joke that we always make, but last season it was playing the fly offense when 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 it was Willamette that teams had to face, you know, and they hadn't seen it before in the past when Springfield's gotten in, and you like you said that triple option offense. All of a sudden, you see something that uh, that you haven't seen before. You know, sometimes it's a wing T team or something like that. But as it's interesting, as the game evolves and you get to more more spread offenses, and and that's more typical now. That's what kids have grown up playing against now in high school. 
in most of their college careers. And so the spread offense, which used to be in the 90s, that used to be the novelty when you went four wides every down and sometimes went with an empty backfield and you threw the ball on first down. That was crazy. Now the novelty is somebody that still has a ground game like Maine Maritime. The uh, rest of that bracket, uh, we uh, have Albright at Alfred and then uh, Susquehanna at Delaware Valley. And, uh, you know, Keith, uh, Albright getting into the field, I, I think we pretty much realized as the week started that that Albright-Lebanon Valley was going to be an elimination game and the, and the winner was going to be pretty solidly in the bracket and, and Albright came through. Yeah, and, and what a way they came through. You know, got down in that game 23 to nothing, uh, got, got rallied. You know, to tie that game and take it to overtime, and then uh, ended up beating Lebanon Valley by a point in overtime. And uh, I know they, they, I think they lasted through some injuries in that game. And, uh, you know, they, they knew going in, like, like you said, Pat, they knew going in that was going to be a play in game. And to start off so poorly and to come together and, and rally their way into the postseason, I think is something that's going to, you know, really galvanize them as they head up to Alfred this week. Right, because they did it behind a backup quarterback. Uh, the the key injury there was uh, Tanner Kelly getting hurt, uh, you know, midway through the game, and then uh, you know the on the con on the converse side, um, Keith, it was really kind of the story of Lebanon Valley's season, uh, where they gave up uh, or had big second half rallies, and then this was one that uh, they didn't quite finish off. And and they would have been one of the stories of the of the bracket in terms of a team that has really never had this kind of success, you know, even at eight and two and playing in the ECAC bowl will probably be pretty nice for them. But to realize you, you were 30 minutes, you know, 15 minutes from having, having a playoff bid in hand, having the best season in school history in hand, that has to be awful tough for those, uh, for those flying Dutchmen. And uh, I mean, when you get in, sometimes when we get in week 11, Pat, we talk so much about, so we're looking so forward to week 12. You forget about all these crazy occurrences that, that got teams in in week 11. And you have these rivalry games and these great overtime games and wonderful finishes uh, all across the country. And, and uh, that Albright Lebanon Valley game, play that any other week of the season. And that is like one of the games that we have on the front page that we're talking about. And that comes up in the statistical spotlight uh, and all that. So that that's that's was a pretty exciting one, I imagine, if you were, uh, if you were in the stands for that. I, I think Alfred... We're overlooking them a little bit because they they dropped off the map by getting uh, beat pretty handily two weeks ago by uh, by Ithaca, and now you know they're they're a team that's maybe lucky to have a home game, but but for most of the season has been a strong team in a fairly strong conference in the uh, in the Empire Six Empire Eight is still officially named, but you know there's there's only the six teams there, and uh, they've had a great running game all season behind uh, Vincent Hendricks, and um, and they have a nice quarterback in uh, in Tom. Uh, Saxons in the NCAA playoffs for the first time uh, since 1981. Secchi on Saturday was 16 of 26 passing for 369 yards and six touchdowns, uh, the uh, tying the school record that uh, Paul Keeley set a couple of years ago. Um, you know, against Utica, Utica tacked on a couple of late touchdowns to make this game look a lot closer than it was. Uh, it did end up being 56-30. Um, you know, Alfred... I don't want to say that Alfred had a shot to lose to Utica. Uh, I don't think uh, Utica is really capable of beating Alfred. But, you know, after the way things happened the week before, uh, you know, you kind of have to wonder, you know, exactly what kind of team you are. you got to do the whole dig down deep inside and, and, uh, and, and, and come up with something after a disappointing loss. Hey, and, and you know, Tom, uh, Tom, uh, Pat, these teams, uh, they don't, 
except for in the case of Mount Union and, you know, over the past four years, Whitewater and most years, you know, St. John's and on down the board, teams aren't aren't the same team every week. And what I mean by that is they're not necessarily consistent week to week. They're not, you know, whether if an injury comes into play or, you know, you start looking at your opponent and, and thinking, wow, we're, we're we're good and we're we're really going to smoke these guys. You know, there's weeks where you just don't have it. And and that clearly happened a couple of weeks ago to Alfred and and I'm sure some of that was due to to Ithaca playing well and I'm sure some of it was was due to the Saxons playing poorly. But for once in, in Alfred's past, you know, 5 or 6 years now here, they've won 8 games and that also came along with the uh with the Empire 8 title and a playoff bid. You know, they've had eight win seasons before. We, I talk about this almost every week in the podcast. And, uh, you know, it's it's nice to see them be rewarded for that. And then to get put in a, in a four-team cluster here where, you know, they, they could feel reasonably confident that if they play well, you know, they, they can move on. The other half is a former MAC opponent, Susquehanna, traveling to Delaware Valley. Uh, Susquehanna, Finishing its uh, its short tour in the uh, Liberty League, taking the championship with it, headed to the Centennial Conference next season, but uh, headed to the playoffs first. And uh, you know, nice nice for them because uh, they started off the season, you know, not not necessarily playing all that well, and that's a team that that rallied into the playoffs and uh, you know started out three and two, lost like lost to Lycoming, lost at Merchant Marine, which was a little a little bit surprising. Merchant Marine was uh, four and six this season, and it was a it was a twenty four eight loss. That that was one of those results back in the beginning of October that was kind of puzzling. So I, I thought Susquehanna was going to be good this year, but maybe not so much. And then they went on that run to close. Well, without with they were without their starting quarterback in that game, for what it's worth. And and that goes back, I guess, to the point I made when we were, we were talking about Alfred. Is teams aren't necessarily the same team every week, and, and injuries are a huge factor in that. Uh, you know, if if you're missing one guy, I, I think especially if it's a quarterback or, or a star running back or somebody like that, all of a sudden it changes maybe your whole offensive identity. Sometimes on defense, you know, you you need more of a team effort, and you can get by plugging in for for a guy. But it. it the the run that Susquehanna went on, it, it's they got they got to be feeling good about themselves now. Beating Rochester, RPI, St. Lawrence, WPI, and and Union, which was the team to beat pretty much in the Liberty League most of the season, to get in the playoffs. And now you know if if you're Delaware Valley, if you're Susquehanna, can you go back a couple years and dig out the tapes? Are there any similarities, you know, in in scheme? Because those teams are, are familiar with what they were running a few years ago, or it, you know, is it all new personnel and therefore you know not much to be gained from that? On the uh, in the uh, the second bracket, bracket two, the Wesley bracket, whatever you want to call it, uh, we start off with uh, North Carolina Wesleyan at Wesley. It only took us thirty minutes to get to the second bracket in the uh, in the field here, Pat, in the podcast. Uh, but everybody keeps saying it. they're not too long, so we'll keep on talking. Um, this one, I, I think. Reminds me of a game, you know, a, a week two game, I think, a couple years ago when these two teams played at Wesley. And uh, North Carolina Wesleyan, I think, had the speed at that point to, to match up with Wesley and give Wesley sort of a look that, that they don't get very often because athletically, I don't know if there's a better team, at least at the skill positions in the country. You know, when Wesley would play Whitewater, you know, they get dominated pretty good along the lines. But, but having seen this Wesley team play, this is. I don't think this is going to be anything like two years ago when when eight seeded North Carolina Wesleyan went up to Washington Jefferson and knocked them off 35-34. I think this is this is a Wesley team that hasn't that hasn't stumbled, you know, hasn't seen a uh, 
a whole lot of trouble. Hadn't been in really much trouble at all in, in uh, many of their games this season. And they really are primed to do some damage when you when you look at this bracket. And uh, I think that, that possibly, I think it starts on Saturday. 200-yard rushers for Wesley uh, this past Saturday and a win against Ohio Dominican, which is a team that's uh, pretty good traditionally out of the NAIA. They were one of the... Uh, preseason picks to win the national championship in the NAIA last year. Uh, Aaron Jackson, 21 carries for 121 yards. Shane McSweeney, back in a quarterback, 22 carries for 114, also 13 of 24 passing for 168. So I think things are going pretty well right now uh, for Wesley. In the second matchup in this bracket, the winner of that game will face the uh, winner between a couple of, uh, you know, essentially playoff rookies, uh, Keith Huntington hosting Mississippi College. Uh, Mississippi College had some... Uh, you know some great playoff runs in the its division two years, but hasn't uh, made the hasn't been in the division three playoffs. And of course, Huntington's uh, program is pretty darn young to begin with. And this is sort of yeah, sort of interesting in the sense that both of these teams have sort of been on the come up for a few years now. And uh, you know we've seen Huntington grow from a from a uh, startup program. You know that that had the guts to challenge teams. You know, remember they played Trinity in in years past, and they played this season. They played Millsaps, and they played Wisconsin uh, Oshkosh. You know, they they that's a team that part of it is by nature of, of being independent. You know, they have to play whoever they can get a game with. But they they have been real eager to to build their program, and it's nice to see a team that challenges itself get rewarded with with a postseason bid. And it, by the same token, you look at Mississippi College, a team that's sort of been on the cusp of breaking through a little bit for for a few seasons now in the American Southwest, and to do it, you know, in the middle of the season with that big victory over uh, the traditional power and Mary Harden Baylor, and then to stumble a little bit but still be able to to clinch a bid and uh, and play at home, you know, the Choctaws have to be pretty satisfied with that. Yeah, you know the one interesting thing, Keith, is I, you know, recalling that, uh, you know, Howard Payne, the team that beat Mississippi College, uh, it was completely different than uh, Mary Harden Baylor in in terms of offensive style, and, and from the looks of it, you know, Huntington uh, throwing for an average of 293 yards a game, also rushing for 232 yards a game. They're a little more balanced than uh, than Howard Payne was the night that they beat Mississippi College, but uh, they are not the the run first team that uh, Mississippi College had some success against. And I think the story for Mississippi College, you know, when you go back to that Howard Payne loss, was was the, uh, I believe it was seven turnovers, five interceptions from from Adam Schaefer. So they're gonna obviously have to take better care of the ball offensively. But sometimes that's what happens when you have a quarterback who has great confidence, who has a good arm, and who has had success. And and the Choctaws certainly have that. They you know they have a quarterback who can who can I would say carry them far uh, in the playoffs if he if he gets hot. But I you know I I just think that's a that's a I don't know I don't want to say they can't beat Wesley you know. But it, it, it's they're they're they've got a chance to win here in the first round and uh, and uh, you know have a little fun here in the postseason. The bottom half of this bracket, uh, we start with uh, Johns Hopkins making the trip to undefeated Hampton Sydney. And that that one is is you know a case of Hampton Sydney really ha- has been a, a a hot team from from the very start of the season. You know, opened up with that win over North Carolina Wesleyan, fifty five twenty three. You know, we've mentioned the fifth year quarterback. Uh, Corey Sedler a couple times during the season in the podcast and uh, got pushed a little bit by by its rival on uh, on Saturday by Randolph Macon. You know, 34-27 was the final there. Had you know gave up a big score to, to make that game close and then came back with a kick return. You know, so that's a team in Hampton Sydney that's uh, that's been explosive offensively pretty much the whole way through. But the 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 sort of growth of their defense through most of the season 
um, has has really made them a dynamic team. And, and I think, you know, now you see that contribution on Saturday from the special teams. You know, that's going to be a tough, tough team to handle for uh, for Hopkins, which is really, uh, you know, had a nice nice season out of the Centennial with, uh, with their running back, Andrew Case. You know, Keith, I think both of you, uh, both you and I, are, are really familiar with uh, the type of offense that Hampton Sydney uh, runs, and, and you know the, the the style of team that they are, and, and I know, uh, going back to my days uh, covering Catholic University on a regular basis, when Marty Favret, who's now the head coach at Hampton Sydney, was the offensive coordinator there, it seemed like they had trouble closing out big games, and you know the 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 Marty Favret offense has not won a playoff game yet. Now that's not to say that um, they might necessarily have trouble against Johns Hopkins. I, I think that this is a game that they probably should win. But do you think that uh, you know that that's something that may be a problem down the road for Hampton Sydney later in the bracket if they advance? It, it's a problem for any team that relies on on throwing the ball a lot, because um, you know just by the nature of, of passing, sometimes you you know you have a couple incompletions in a row. When those incompletions come on first down and second down put yourself in a third and long situation the defense gets a chance to pin its ears back and, and you don't have a very good uh opportunity at making those third and long so you know for for teams like that they want to a lot of times teams want to pass early in the game to get the lead and then they want to be able to try to in the middle of the game third quarter and on into the fourth quarter protect that lead by running the ball and, and establishing the run and and you know we've seen seasons where hampton sydney has had a great running game and uh if they if they're able to be balanced through the through these playoffs, you know, not not just offense and defense and and having those those good defensive weeks every week, but if if they're balanced offensively, you know that they'll be very very tough to beat. And, and you know, you mentioned the Marty Favre offense, which is is pretty much been known for you know to us, like you said, for 15 years as as one of the better offenses probably on the East Coast. You know, he's he's one of the really one of the great offensive minds in in Division Three. And it's uh, it's amazing that that as many times as as Catholic and now Hampton Sydney has had you know great teams that they haven't drawn a really good matchup in the first round in the playoffs like Hampton Sydney uh, drew this time. And uh, not saying that that Hopkins is, is a pushover, but you know to be able to play at home and you know that's what happens when you go ten and zero, you're, you're able to earn that home game. To be able to play at home in an environment where you're comfortable. Where they're going to draw a nice crowd there, and they have a nice, you know, home field advantage down there. They call it Death Valley. You play in a bowl setting, you know, if you haven't been, and uh, it's a, uh, it's an opportunity for them to to take a step with their program that that they haven't uh, been able to take so far. The other half of that uh, matchup there, the winner of that game goes on to face uh, the winner of, I guess, the uh, the Western Wing of the South Region. When you've got uh, DePaul traveling to Thomas More, and, and DePaul's got to forget about this Mona Bell game quickly you know they lost to their rival who's also in the in the playoffs on the other side of the bracket 32 to 19 on saturday a huge rivalry game and, and when you talk about wabash and you talk about depaul that's the first thing that comes to mind those two teams and the rivalry they have with each other you know the the win by the little giants made the all-time mark 54 53 and 9 or something crazy like that or 11 i don't know what the ties are but the, the whole season sometimes there is just is geared around that game, and, and now they got a chance to, to do something big in the playoffs. And DePaul's been this team, you know, from before the season started that's had upheaval, that's dealt with adversity, and if they can deal with it now and go to Thomas More, you know, they that they can have a uh, 
they can write the ending to their season. The ending to their season doesn't have to be this this depressing loss in the uh, in the Moan and Bell game. But nothing easy about Thomas More and what they've accomplished. Well, we're at the 40-minute mark. It only took us about 10 minutes to get through bracket number two. Let's move on to bracket number three. Top-seeded Wisconsin Whitewater hosting Lakeland. Uh, you know, this is uh, Lakeland, the only team in the bracket with more than uh, two losses. They're six and four, and I don't know if there's a whole lot to say about this one. I guess. No, I mean that's a that's a game that I believe we've seen, you know, a couple years back, even before Whitewater was quite this dominant. Uh, that used to be a regular season game, and I believe I remember a seventy-five-seven in there somewhere and uh so yeah the, the teams are, are not quite on the same level and for lakeland you know you don't ever want to say a team is just happy to be in the playoffs but when when you have a six and four season you know you feel like that's a building block to maybe having a good season next year and, and being playoff playoff worthy and just the way things shook out in the uh in the northern athletic conference uh it made them the uh the conference champion this year and and they they actually played a nice little schedule lakeland did and uh I think they played. I know they played Central, and I believe they played. Uh, I want to say Mount St. Joseph. Um, so I mean, they're they're tested as far as uh, yeah. They played Central, Mount St. Joseph, Carthage, which was a seven and three team, I believe, and then uh, and then won the, the Nathcon. So their their four losses. Uh, they didn't lose to bad teams necessarily, but um, but yeah, you don't ever really expect to see a four loss team in the field, and you don't ever expect to send a team to Whitewater in the first round, at least not after what we've seen in the past. Uh, four years, and now this is the fifth year of that, and, and see them go into Perkins Stadium in the first round and win. The winner of that game will play the winner of Wabash at, at Illinois Wesleyan. Illinois Wesleyan, uh, Keith, ending a long playoff drought, and we mentioned, of course, already how Wabash earned its way into the field. Yeah, and, and these are two teams that I think are a little bit of little little kind of enigmas in a sense because um, you know, Wabash lost that game to uh, to Wittenberg, which went 10 and 0, and is further down here in the same bracket. And I lost that game 10-7, but didn't have their starting quarterback in that game, uh, Matt Hudson. So so you don't know if if you don't really know the the, the best they can play because they play really well. I, I think on Saturday uh, in, in beating their rival, and in, again you don't know how much of that is is due to just the, the excitement of the rivalry and, and the way things go in that game. But you know you, you got to turn around and get ready for for a team. That's coming out of the most competitive, I think, this season, the most competitive conference in the country, the champion of the CCIW and, uh, and Illinois Wesleyan, a team that, you know, we, we spent a lot of time being so focused on North Central and, and Wheaton, some of the traditional powers out of that conference, that we didn't really get Illinois Wesleyan all the way on the radar until, you know, it was week seven or week eight. Right, and, and losing early on to Milliken didn't help, and then having their starting quarterback out for a while uh, kind of hurt that for Illinois Wesleyan as well. But you know, um, in terms of uh, in terms of uh, Wabash, Keith, um, you know I, their uh, their playoff performances lately haven't been overly inspiring. You know, getting uh, you know getting past Case Western Reserve is one thing, uh, and you know the way they got knocked out of the bracket uh, the last couple of years. You know, getting just blown out of the water by uh, Wisconsin Whitewater, which is maybe not all that surprising. And then you know losing at home in a similar manner to Wheaton last year. Yeah, that, that's uh, for a team that considers itself a, a, a perennial power and one of those teams that's sort of on the edge of, of being a consistent top 25 team, uh, you know, a team that's probably capable of getting to the, the quarterfinals with the right matchup, but really, you know, I think has has the pieces in place, has the sort of 
I guess I don't know if administration or coaching or institutional support, whatever the the quite the word is, you know, fan base. They have all the tools to be a really great Division three program, but it doesn't look like they they caught necessarily a great matchup this year. Because even if they do get past the champion of the CCIW, which is never an easy draw, you know, you most likely have have Whitewater the next week, and so, you know, for Wabash, they they got a, a tall road, a tall task ahead of them, a tough road. Uh, ahead of them in the playoffs, but you know, at a certain point, you get in the field, you got to beat some good teams. Case Western Reserve hosting Trine, and uh, for Case Keith, um, you know, it, it's really a matter of a uh, similar kind of thing. They play the UIA schedule, they play some crossover games that are uh, mandated against the North Coast Conference. They didn't play Wittenberg, they didn't play Wabash, and, and I'm not sure that uh, necessarily playing Trine is going to be up to the level of uh, what the second round and further on in the playoff bracket are going to be like for Dan Whalen and the rest of the Case team. Hey, look, but it's going to be the best team they've played this season. You know, Case Western didn't beat a team that had a better than 500 record, and, and that is completely relevant when we're talking about high, how high to put them in the top 25, and, and it's completely relevant when you're comparing them to another team that has played lots of good teams. But it doesn't mean that we've seen Case Western reserve ceiling. You know, we that doesn't mean they can't beat a team that that went nine and one in trying. You know, they got a home a home playoff game. They have a a quarterback who's who's been a great leader, has been a Gallardi Trophy finalist, and uh, and Dan Whalen. So you know, the, the I think the thing here is is they have a uh, an opportunity, and it's really with all four teams in the in this bottom half of this bracket, this cluster right here. And we'll talk about uh, Mount St. Joseph and Wittenberg in a minute. But I think all four of these teams, Case Western Reserve, uh, primary among them have an opportunity to get to win two playoff games. One of those four teams is going to is going to do something that we don't normally see its program do and and they're going to have build, have a building block to to sort of take their program a little further. Something they could take on the recruiting trail and say, "Look, hey, we we went two rounds deep into the playoffs, you know, at least." And I think Case Western Reserve has to be sort of cognizant of that, the opportunity that's in, that's in front of them. You know, I look at the other uh, bracket uh, matchup in this bracket, the the team that they're going to face, and uh, you mentioned already, of course, it's Wittenberg or Mount St. Joseph. And and I think of Wittenberg in the exact same sense that I don't know what the ceiling is on Wittenberg right now either. I think we know what the ceiling is on Mount St. Joseph uh, after last week, uh, the same thing we already suspected. But I, I think Wittenberg's really up in the air too. It's kind of the same deal as we mentioned with Case. You know, not not that many challenges this season. So you don't know what to make of them. But I think the thing that, that I really like about Wittenberg is that they come in playing good defense. And, uh, you know, we, we can get excited about offensive numbers and, and good leadership at quarterback and all those good things. But if you if you just go down the, their scores, uh, Wittenberg this year, no matter who they played, whether it be Allegheny or, uh, or Wabash, you know, the best two teams in the North Coast Conference, you know, an 8-2 team and a 9-1 and team, you know, Bash scored seven against them. Allegheny scored ten. Ten was the most anybody scored on Wittenberg this season. They gave up 53 points, 5.3 a game, and they scored 38 points a game. But, you know, some of those points came against not-so-good teams. And, and that's, you know, you don't know what kind of measure that is. But they've been consistent every week defensively. Uh, again, Allegheny's ten points, the most anybody scored on them in a game. And, and you know, Mount St. Joseph coming off uh, that 42-17 beating on, on Saturday, you know, they're going to be hard-pressed to put up a whole lot more than 17 points. So they're going to have to play a good game defensively against Wittenberg if uh, if they want to win on the road. 
And in bracket four, Keith, I, I think we start off with the, the toughest first-round draw for a, a top seed, and that's St. John's hosting Co. Yeah, I mean, b- before we even get into this whole West Region bracket, this this is just, this whole bracket is, is monstrous. Everybody has a tough draw. If I had to, to, to pick the games I want to go to this weekend, you know, if I had to pick one of the 16 games, you know, the top four games might be all in the West region. I'm, I'm being totally honest with you. And, and if you just look at the strength of this bracket, I put together some numbers. And if you, I hope you don't mind me interjecting these before we get into um, t- talking about each game here in this, uh, what we'll call the, uh, the St. John's bracket. You may informally call it the West region bracket. But every team hosting in, in, this, in this bracket is 10-0. and And uh, all the road teams are one-loss teams. That's a 75-4 uh, record. Okay, from for for these these uh, teams combined, uh, if you just go across and look at the other regions, the uh, the Whitewater bracket was 72 and eight, the Mount Union bracket 75 and eight, and the Wesley bracket was 73 and 10. So you know only four losses all these all four of these teams combined here in the West, uh, and that that includes taking a West Region team in Whitewater and moving them out into their own bracket. There's there's no easy draws. You know, it's nice. You go ten and zero, you get a home game, and then you get a nine and one team that's that's played pretty much consistently well all season. Uh, in Coe's case, they did that, except for the the central loss, twenty four six loss to a, a ten and zero team. Um, it, it, it's you know no easy reward for getting in the playoffs. You know, you look at St. John's top seed in uh, in the West Region, but a little banged up. Pat, you've seen them play a couple times. They they may be the, the 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 number one seed among the four that's most right for an upset. Yeah, and, and I think they're a number one that uh, may not be playing the number eight. Of course, we don't have the seedings right now. Uh, I I think uh, Cal Lutheran probably, you know, of the four uh, one loss teams, they might be the lowest ranked of the four, so they'd probably be the eight seed, uh, and, and Co might be the seven seed. But you know, to be honest with you, um, yeah, I I think that. Um, I think you said it. Uh, this is a, a the the number one scene that's most ripe for an upset, and not just because uh, Coe's playing playing pretty well. Uh, you know, also because uh, St. John's is banged up a little bit. Uh, Joe Boyle, the uh, the number one quarterback, injured his uh, re-injured his thumb a couple weeks ago. Hasn't played. They've been holding him out as a precaution. Uh, their uh, one of their top linebackers, Ryan Wimmer, was was injured and, and held out uh, some for some time as a precaution. Didn't have any trouble beating Carlton on Saturday, but uh, I think Coe is a significant step higher than that. And, of course, um, you know, for St. John's, a lot of the question early on in the season was about a, uh, a young slate of defensive backs. Uh, defensive backs that came up uh, pretty big against St. Thomas uh, to the point where uh, St. Thomas changed its quarterback after that game. Uh, but, you know, they're, they're going to be going against a guy who uh, is just – you know, real consistent, uh, you know, co-quarterback who uh, set the Division Three record for most consecutive passes without throwing an interception. Yeah, and and that's a that's a type of thing that gets you into the playoffs, that gets you a nine and one record. A guy, you know, guys, don't turn the ball over, don't make a lot of risky throws, but make the throws that that consistently move your team down the field. And, and you know, when we're when we say St. John's is a team that's most right for upset, it, it's not because they're bad. You know, there's a team that we can see going all the way to the semifinals if they put things together because sort of the the story of their season has been in these big games playing well in crunch time you know you the two the first two games against the Wisconsin uh, athletic conference teams 
uh, pull those games out at the end, kicked a 49-yard field goal in the last 15, 20 seconds to, to beat Bethel, had to go to overtime to beat St. Thomas. You know, you can look at that two ways. Does that tell you something about St. John's, that, that this is a team that rallies together and plays well in big games and big situations and, and uh, has the makings of a special team? Or you can look at it the other way and say, is this a team that, that's barely scraped by and managed to get a number one seed but looks very beatable? You know, the only one way to find out, and that's on Saturday. Well, I'll try to find that out for you because uh, that's the game I'm going to be going to. Uh, I, I'm very interested in, of course, uh, pretty much all the other games in this bracket too. Uh, you know, St. Thomas at Monmouth, Keith. Um, you know, this is a this is a real interesting matchup. It's Monmouth uh, playing at home, maybe smarting a little bit from the way they uh, got bounced out of the playoffs last year, uh, using not real good uh, clock management and ending up uh, giving up uh, giving up the the game on a. In the, in the closing seconds against Warburg last year uh, and kind of costing both themselves and the Midwest Conference a, a little extra measure of respectability. And then you've got St. Thomas, um, you know, which did not play a tough uh, out-of-conference schedule by any stretch of the imagination. They played McAllister and Northwestern. Um, they did take St. John's to overtime um, after they uh, scored uh, – Two touchdowns in the fourth quarter on uh, really short drives after uh, mistakes in the in the Johnny Punted game ended up losing that game in overtime. Then they switched quarterbacks. Um, you know they've they've looked good on offense the past couple weeks. Uh, they look good on offense against Bethel and of course uh, against Northwestern, um, uh, which was pretty overmatched. And I think this might be one of the. I mean it's it's a deserving four or five game because I think it's going to be tightened back and forth. Except of course. In the top 25 poll, we have them a little bit higher than a, a regular 4-5 game in the first round of a of a 32-team tournament. And that goes back to just how strong this this bracket is. You know, there's there's no there's no team in this bracket that I, that I don't think is good enough to win its first round game. And that means by nature, every team could also be bounced in the first round. And uh, you know, you, you know, if you had to bet, you, if you had to make a pick or whatever, you would take probably take a lot of the home teams. And I think in this case. Uh, you know, when people do that, that um, the pick'em that's gonna that's on the site, a lot of people might take St. Thomas by the nature of the strength of that that um, the Mayak over over the uh, over the years, and and the result against St. John's, like you said, Pat, looks like it was much closer than it was. I mean, you know, they went into overtime, so it was a close game, but the, the Johnnies made a couple crucial mistakes, and it's not like St. St. Thomas drove down the field a couple times against the Johnnies. So I, I think when we talk about this this game, you know, people might look at St. Thomas as a road favorite. I I think Monmouth is a, is possibly a little bit overlooked because when you look at what they've done this season, and when you talk about teams like we talk about Wittenberg in a, in a in a conference that doesn't challenge itself, doesn't they don't doesn't get a lot of challenges during the season. Monmouth never left any doubt in any of its games. I mean, every win at least twenty points. The closest game was was the opener. And uh, that wasn't that wasn't against a Midwest Conference team. That was a 19-point win against Loris. Every other team, you know, you, you just look down the results. You see 58-0, 59-0, 42-0, 52-24 was was the big game in the middle of the season for Monmouth against St. Norbert, a team that finished nine and one. But no, nobody pressed this team. And and just like a lot of other things, I guess you can look at it two ways. If they get stuck in a close game against St. Thomas, how will they respond? That's one way of looking at it. I think I I'm sort of of, of the mind that. Monmouth has clearly established itself as as better than the traditional 
Midwest Conference team. This is possibly a special team, and you get them in this game playing at home. Like you said, Pat, with with that uh, the, the history the taste in their mouth from last season, where they sort of controlled that game and let Warburg uh, come back and beat them at the end. You know, this is a situation where Monmouth has has an opportunity to put itself uh, among, I guess, sort of some of the elite programs in the country, and uh, they have the talent to do it. They have a great quarterback in Alex Tanney, and uh, they have a respectable opponent. Opponent where if if Monmouth goes and beats St. Thomas, and then you know they play the St. John's co-winner, they have an opportunity to really earn a lot of respect. Bottom half of that bracket, Mary Harden Baylor making the trip up to Central, and then uh, the other half, of course, is the uh, the West Coast elimination game with Linfield hosting Cal Lutheran. And if you've stayed with us this long on the podcast, you got to the good stuff. This is 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 the four team cluster in this bracket that just just completely powerful. It's loaded. There's there's no bad teams in here. You know, I, I think. You said, Pat, Cal Lutheran's probably the eight seed in this bracket. And as of this recording of this podcast, you know, we, we don't have the, the seeds yet in this bracket, which is a, another story for another day why we wouldn't have those after the bracket's been out. But um, Cal Lutheran, I don't think you can overlook this team. It's a team that you know, played 8-2 and two Willamette within a touchdown, beat Occidental, beat, Ren- beat um, Redlands to get into the playoffs. Uh, obviously, the, the, the Skyac champion pretty much plays the Northwest Conference champion every year. Linfield back in the playoffs after three consecutive six and three seasons, and uh, you know the 2004 champions. You know that that the championship always stays with you. You know every time you mention Linfield, you know you go back to that 2004 championship. You know it's the type of type of program that brings in the caliber of players that that they can win. They can go deep in this thing so you got you got cal lutheran you have linfield playing that west coast game and and there's always a west coast game you know unless there's three teams it's going to be the 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 skyac and and the northwest conference playing each other in uh in the first round and that's because of of the way we treat the brackets as probably everybody listening knows the 500 mile radius you know we want to the the committee wants to keep teams within driving distance so though we don't have to pick up the, the NCAA doesn't have to pick up tabs for flights. However, in the case of Mary Harden Baylor, because of because there was only one team in the bracket that was close enough to them in Mississippi College, and there was only one team that 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 Mississippi one other team that Mississippi College could have been matched up against, they're on the other side of the bracket with Huntington. That means Mary Harden Baylor has to fly somewhere, and that for some odd reason is central. So you have a nine and one team that that's been the third best team in the country for the past two, maybe three seasons. Um, going on the road in the first round, you know, this is Central's reward for going 10-0 and and pretty much dominating the, uh, the Iowa Intercollegiate Athletic Conference this season. Their reward is a home game in the playoffs. Good for them. But then you import a South Region team to, to this already loaded West Region, and now you have, I think, the first round, the matchup of the first round, the, the probably the best game, uh, and Mary Harden Baylor at Central. Now you see why I wanted to put Mary Harden Baylor against Maine Maritime. Right, because it balances the bracket, and then it, it, the way you had it set up, Pat, it puts somebody in in the bracket that you could maybe see beating Mountain Union. You look right now just at the schedule, at uh, the schedule, the balance of these brackets, and uh, you have pretty much. I mean, when you get serious about this, Mountain Union. Maybe Delaware Valley, maybe Montclair State. 
I don't I, I don't know Alfred I mean the Empire eight's usually strong but who who can beat Mountain Union in that bracket go down to Wesley Hampton Sydney very talented Thomas Moore having a great season Mississippi College coming out of the American Southwest but if Wesley plays to its capability just looking at the physical talent that team has on the defensive line and the secondary they have wide receivers they have a quarterback who, who who's a warrior type guy they have five running backs that get carries no if Wesley plays well, nobody's beating them. Look in the Whitewater bracket. In some people's mind, that's the best team in the country. They've been ranked number two all season, getting first place votes. Tough teams in that bracket, but I I don't know if Whitewater plays its best game, if there's anybody in that bracket that, that can can beat them. So now you got three teams that are very likely to, to be in the semifinals. And then you have this other bracket where everybody... Or half the teams, six of the teams, five of the teams, depending on your opinion of, of some of them, could could be the semifinalists. It, it's just, it's kind of wacky. You would think, I mean, if you go by our poll right now, and, and we know that's not playoff criteria, but if you go by our poll right now, you have the number one team in the country is in one bracket, the number two team is in another bracket, the number three team is in it. All those teams are in their own bracket. And then, I'm actually going to have to call up the poll and have it in front of me when I say this, but... Number four team in the country, St. John's. Number five team in the country, Linfield. Number six, Central. Number seven, Mary Harden Baylor. Number eight, Monmouth. All those teams are in the same region. The three, four, five, six, seven team. Oh, I'm sorry. The four, five, six, seven, eight teams are all in the same region. Number ten, St. Thomas, also in 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 that region. It's uh, it's unbelievable. Indeed, uh, Keith. I would ask you what you're writing about and around the nation this week, but I think that uh, the veteran followers of D3Football.com already know what this column is. Every week we round up uh, you and I, Pat. Um, I think we're going to have Ryan Tips and uh, and Frank Rossi on board this week, and uh, those guys did a great job for us last year in providing some uh, some different viewpoints than uh, than you and I provide. We take a look at. Um, surprises and disappointments in every bracket and then we uh each all four of us are called upon to uh to call a champion in uh in each bracket and and the cool thing about that is the four of us you know we agree on some things it's usually a pretty safe bet to to put mount union to go very far but we disagree on a lot of things and uh the the different viewpoints i think are are what make that column uh, a lot of fun and um I think people will enjoy it th- this week. I'll also uh, take a stab at some of the uh, things that the committee got right, the committee didn't get right, and uh, who got the f- toughest first-round draw, toughest road game, and all those fun things. If you've seen that column before, it's uh, it's uh, pretty much the exact same format. And uh, all our, uh, our around-the-region columnists will be wrapping up uh, their ATR columns this week, too. So uh, a lot to keep an eye out for on the site this week. You heard earlier in this podcast from uh, uh, Joyce Solomon, the Rowan Athletic Director, who is the uh, chair of the National Committee uh, for the Division Three football this season. Uh, we have the rest of that interview in its entirety, which was in a separate uh, podcast. If you're uh, downloading the podcast on, uh, podcast on iTunes, you should have gotten both of them around the same time. Uh, otherwise, if you're listening to them here on the blog, then, um, you know, Go back out or look up at the top of the screen or on the right where the, there's a list of recent blogs, and you can pick out that conversation as well. Um, if you spent an hour with us already, maybe you don't have time to spend 25 minutes uh, listening to Joyce Solomon right now, but you, you might want to come back later in the week and, and listen to that as well because there's a lot more uh, 
to that interview than we were able to bring you here. Um, Keith mentioned the playoff predictions contest uh, that should be coming. The pick'em should be ready on Monday. Uh, we also do uh, playoff team capsules. Uh, all 32 teams, you get the uh, the lowdown on the, on each of the teams in the bracket. You get uh, our kind of one-liner predictions on uh, what the best possible outcome is for each of those teams. You get a little flavor of uh, what each team is like. Uh, again, around the region, around the nation. Okay. Somewhere this week, I'm going to slide in uh, getting a team of the week done. It'll be our last team of the week presented by Scoutware for the 2009 football season. And if you're still here and your team is not in the playoffs, come on over to d3hoops.com and follow the Division Three men's and women's basketball season uh, with us over at D3 Hoops. Uh, he's Keith McMillan. I'm Pat Coleman. This podcast is done, except for the next hour and a half I'm going to have to spend editing it. Thank you.